When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hello, welcome to Utopia Terrier. Stephen Chicken here, joined by David Hartrick. David, I think we're both well for the first time in about a month. Yeah, so <laughs> we're very sorry we've missed a couple. I've had a visit from the COVID fairy, so I'm just going to answer a couple of questions that I know listeners will have. Yes, I have had it a lot. No, I'm not into double figures yet, but I'm not far off. Yes, I am quite cross that it that chap who ate a bat it annoys me. To be I'll fair, see on. <laughs> uh, but no, I had uh, unfortunately a, a nasty visit from the COVID fairy that took me out for a couple of weeks, and you yourself have not been very well, have you? No, I had a cold, and then I was all right, and then I did an 18-mile walk when I had a little bit of tonsillitis coming on, which my doctor advises me was not a terribly good idea. Um, but can, I actually felt... Go on. Can, no, I can confirm it's not a good yeah. idea. So I actually, to be fair, I felt I wouldn't have done it if I hadn't felt sort of okay on the day. And actually during the walk, I was absolutely fine. But then the next morning I woke up and had effectively tonsillitis. Um, so even if I had been um, well enough to work last week, which I wasn't... Um, it would have been uh, a terrible podcast experience, even worse than me using the wrong microphone um, a couple of weeks ago. So, um, yeah, we'll we'll crack on with the football. Where are we up to, Dave? What games have we covered, and what games do we need to cover? Cause... I think I think if I remember rightly, uh, Neil Warnock's town have just beat Sheffield United, and they're safe for staying up. <laughs> uh, I think they had just played Coventry. Yes. So we've had we've had three games since then, and it's been a real mixed bag. Um, we'll I think the Sheffield went. It's just as well the Sheffield Wednesday game doesn't bear much talking <laughs> about in any forensic detail, and that we do have these three games to talk about, which we'll we'll do a little bit more in passing and, and more general trends. But it is difficult to identify general trends because they're three very different performances. I thought mm. against Ipswich they were. Absolutely outstanding, and unfortunately, the lack of depth from the bench compared with what it's which have available um, told in the end, particularly because Town had to make three forced changes late in that game, where Ipswich were just able to just keep chucking on more and more attacking players. Um, but I thought Town on the whole were absolutely superb in that game. I thought every bit as good as they were against Ipswich, they were terrible against Birmingham. Uh, I didn't make that trip, and if I'm going to miss one away game this season, I'm glad it was that one. Um, not least because St Andrews isn't my favourite place to visit anyway, but the performance was abysmal. And then Sheffield Wednesday was just a... <sighs> 
yeah, a disappearing of the prospect of football into the ether <laughs> um, with nothing happening effectively, which I think against any in any other away game following Birmingham this season, I would have gone, yeah, fine, just they've cut out the stupid errors, they've got a nil-nil, whatever. But Sheffield Wednesday are officially, and the league table will confirm this, absolute bobbins. So getting a nil-nil draw there doesn't actually feel so great. It's... Uh, very up and down, Dave. <laughs> yeah, it's. I think the the Ipswich performance I thought was a very interesting one because I thought that they they went for them in a way I've not seen the town side go for someone for quite a while. I thought yeah. they were quite intelligent and it it really worked. And I thought what cost them for me more than the subs was was just the thing that we know costs town at the minute, which is they're not clinical enough. You know, if yeah. they if they'd have taken just one more chance. You know, and they did have some very, very presentable chances. They had a lot of possession. They had some excellent positions. Mm. It'd be a different story. Um, I, I would say on that, there was agreement even among the Ipswich folks in the press box that their keeper was man of the match and that probably oh, against any other keeper, town would have won that game 3-1, to be fair. Yeah, and I don't deny that. But when you say that, it's yeah. all right saying the keeper's had a worldie, but you, yeah. you have... You do have to look at yourselves a little bit as well, but there's a wider context here. If Town had been clinical all season and then had come up against yeah. a keeper in that kind of form, you'd say, okay, "Well, fair, fair enough." Fair enough. But yeah, it's the fact that they've had what, like, three goals from centre forwards all season, yeah. and yeah, almost nothing from open play. Yeah, and it kind of like we'll go it. We will talk about some trends and some other stuff, but you know, Delano Bergsog for me is is that's not his best position playing through the middle. And I don't think he's the answer, but he may have to be till January. That's the reality. Yeah. He may have to be till Ward is back up and fit. Um, let's let's wait and see. But then the Birmingham performance was just... I mean, it was just awful on every level, really. I mean, they, they had a slight rally for sort of 15 minutes in the second half. But apart from that, they, they were pretty universally awful, you know. And I do think there was... There was kind of I I can kind of understand why you changed some of the personnel in that game mm-hmm. and there were reasons for it, but I think there was also a, a tactical shift that was so great from the Ipswich game. Bear in mind you've got you're trying to get players out of the Warnock Jepson run around a lot bubble that I, I just think it was too it it almost seemed to be like too much of a cognitive load for some who just got caught between two stalls and then the Sheffield Wednesday game you know day-to-day fans will love this meme but you know at Huddersfield Town versus Sheffield Wednesday no one died but that's basically all we can really say about it it was just a very a very dull game really and I I kind of felt I don't know what your take on was it Steve but it, it kind of felt like two teams who instead of trying to go to win were scared of losing to each other yeah, I think, understandably so in Sheffield Wednesday's case, because they'd just sat the manager, I think their caretaker boss would have just wanted to get them through that game relatively mm-hmm. unscathed. But, God, I mean, both sides in single digits for shots. Yeah. Town didn't have a shot on target. Wednesday had one shot on target, which I believe was a very tame header that was straight at Lee Nichols um, from about you know 15 yards, something like that, off a set piece. There was absolutely, yeah. There was nothing in the game. I think, I think both were sort of going on the attack. It's not like it was, you know, 
um, Germany versus Austria, was it? <laughs> um, you know, they weren't just passing it around. They, both sides were sort of on the attack, but at the same time, uh, I think Town did try and throw, try and be proactive again. They did try and do what they did against Coventry, which is keep the pressure on and, and, and keep building the pressure throughout the game. And obviously they had the disallowed goal, um, which I looking at it again, I don't think there is a foul, but I also understand why the officials think they've seen a foul, if that makes sense. Because yeah. Tom yeah. Lee's elbow is up and is near the keeper. It's within yeah, about six inches of the keeper's face. So I don't think there is a foul, actually. But And someone pointed out to me, also a lot of inconsistency there because there are a few other decisions similar that the referee mm. didn't make. But I don't think Town particularly deserved <laughs> to win that game. Um, so it's it's a difficult one to feel too aggrieved by that Kean Harrit's goal wasn't allowed to stand. Um I don't know. As I say, I think any other away game after that Birmingham game, you just go, okay, nil nil, they've done the basics right. They've not shown anything, but they've got to the break now. Um and they've not had a repeat of that that horror show. Like fine. It's just the fact that it was Sheffield Wednesday who are on such mm. bad form, managerless can't score a goal that's the thing they can't score <laughs> Sheffield Wednesday showed I think both sides showed why they've struggled for goals this season I think it would be fair to say yeah like there was a real lack of quality on the ball and I think when I see a I, when I see a lack of quality on a ball like that I don't necessarily think lack of ability I always think nerves you know when you see it mm. that kind of widespread and it felt like after five five minutes both teams kind of got into a pattern that they couldn't like get them kick themselves out of and what I think what he really needed what he really needed was like I know we can't swear on this pod so it needed a bit of something and vinegar for five minutes you know it's Mm. getting and playing on adrenaline flying into a few tackles and trying to get the blood going a bit and the problem you're saying is he should have put Brema DR on earlier (laughs) yeah (laughs) but they like it needed that from one or the other side to actually kick the game into life and it just it just kind of wasn't just kind of wasn't there and then it was like okay we're not even going to get the incident with the pigeon here there's nothing that's going to happen <laughs> and i just i understand it but i think we also have to be careful here because it's very easy to sort of it's very easy to say, well, Darren Moore's four games in and there's he really his only job at the moment is to try and get to January and just try and win the winnable games ahead, etc. etc. Yeah. But this was one away game you would have ringed in red to try and go for. So I think we can legitimately say, you know, it, it's a it's a missed opportunity. A point's a point, that's fine. It's another point to the total. But those away points are vital in terms of staying up I mean look what Warnock did with town last season to get them mm-hmm. to stay up look what others have done um, you know in terms of keeping town up over the years that does mean now you potentially need to go and get three points from a less yeah. winnable away fixture is the thing so yeah I don't, I don't think it's panic stations or anything like that but it's it's you wouldn't want to watch that 90 minutes again against someone else oh, would no. you it's it's very underwhelming I think mm-hmm. I, I'm not. I'm nowhere near sort of um, having to go at, at Darren Moore here. I think. <clears throat> I, I think his lineup against Birmingham was was bizarre, to be honest. But I think you 
you always get a bit of early manager weirdness. I think I wrote a piece about this last season. You always, when you look at sort of the first few lineups that Carlos Corbran picked or that Danny Cowley picked or that, you know, I'm sure David Wagner will have had it as well. There's always two or three players that it's like, oh God, they never played for them again. (laughs) Or they never played that role again. Or, oh, we never did tried that again. And unfortunately, I think as much as you can watch video and you can look at player strengths and you can, you know, see what they've done previously, I think there's always a little bit of managers can't resist that temptation to to see it for themselves. Um, I do think he made too many changes against Birmingham. I thought if I'm going to have a go at him for anything, I think there are more... I'm told by people that have... Everyone that's covered him for, you know, at Sheffield Wednesday, both on our site and, and elsewhere have told me he's a real tinkerer and he will every now and then in the middle even in the middle of a good run on form will just go full random with the lineup yeah. um you know we saw silver thomas at, at 10 against sheffield wednesday which actually i did the worst of that i actually thought tactically it was fine but silver unfortunately had quite a poor game with his mm. final ball i thought everything except his final ball he actually did reasonably well, but his final ball was so poor I had to he give had, him a four. He has kind of done that role as well before as well. Yeah. Do you remember Birmingham last season when he played up front in the two and he really stretched mm. that defence to the point where they just didn't know what to do? So yeah. it's a, it's a leg- I think it is a legitimate thing to do, but you just need him to play well, like you said. Yeah. So and he also had like Ben Jackson at right wing back, which is you know we know he's both footed and he has again he's played there before, but it's not his natural position. Yutsnakiyama, defensive midfield, again he's played there before, played there in the Netherlands, but it's not his natural position. And I think when you've got, I think any one of those choices in isolation, you can make an argument for. But doing four of them in one game, I think you're naturally gonna, you're gonna end up with the lack of fluency and the silly mistakes and people not quite knowing where their teammates are that you ended up with because everyone is sort of on the back back foot with it um so and then obviously against Sheffield Wednesday other than playing Zorba in that more central role um it was a reversion to square pegs in square holes which is again something we've been talking about for ages I think it's interesting that he Darren Moore seems so keen to get Tom Edwards back and I don't think that is based on any great sort of love and admiration of Tom Edwards I think it's just well he's our only senior right back in the squad, uh, yeah. out and out right back. If we don't get him fit and up to speed and playing, then we basically can't play a back four um, without playing Matty Pearson there again. Which I think mm. Darren Moore would like prefer to have someone who's you know better on the ball um, in that role in in every role to be honest. But but particularly those full back roles, he'll he'll want to use them in a more attacking way than than playing a, a centre back there. So I think. As much as I don't think Edwards has made a, you know, he's not exactly torn up trees. I don't think he's been abysmal either. But I think tactically he could actually be quite an important player for town. But I think there's a lot of, again, for Darren Moore, it's a lot of learning these things and learning what he's got and what he's got available and where people's talents are and where he can use people. Um, that to an extent make three points in four games forgivable. At the same time, though. Uh, I do think they needed, after Coventry, I did say they needed three or four points to take into the international break, and they've only got two. Mm. Um, and I think it does put pressure on that those QPR and Cardiff games after the break, particularly knowing that they've got Leeds um, and a away trip to Leeds going up after that, which is just 
no disrespect listeners but you all do go a bit mad when it when it comes to to playing leads so if things haven't turned around by the time and understandably by the way i was the you know i'm the same with my local rivalry and I, well dave you pretend your local rivalry doesn't exist um so um so there are, nine, there are 19 premier league clubs as you know steve <laughs> so i'm generally not having a go at anyone by saying that it's just how football fandom is but i do think that knowing that fixture is at the end of the first week back and that they've got two home games they do need to get really at least four points preferably six against and they should be beating qpr when you look at the table um uh, particularly at home but cardiff could be a, a tough game and i think it puts a lot of pressure on those fixtures now yeah it does that's what i was kind of alluding to really when i was saying look we can't ignore the fact that it, it is four games in none of us is sort of saying that darren moore's massively under pressure or anything like that I, I do think his remit at the moment is just get to January because yeah. they need, like every manager that comes in, it's not just a case of, right, we look at town squad and we think they need player X here, here and here. Every manager needs a couple of their own players because it's like, it's a it's just a different idea. It's sort of a, they want a little version of themselves on the pitch. That's part of it. And when you come in at this point and you've got to wait till the transfer window, it, it is what it is. Town squad we've discussed to death, Steve. And we said that the transfer window was, was quite underwhelming and they it clearly left them with a couple of issues. All we're really seeing is those issues come home yeah. to roost. You spoke, so, when we did the podcast after the transfer window, you spoke about the right-back position and how it still seemed quite average well, for such an important position on the pitch, shall we say. I spoke about the the passing midfielder, which I still think they need because Wiles and Rodoni, I think, are very good at certain jobs, but I they still haven't got that player who can come into a game like the Sheffield Wednesday game and just change some angles and play some cleverer passes and yeah. pick some different runs out, you know? That's, that's why I understand playing Sorber there I know that yeah. would have been universally popular but like we know that Sorber on his day can thread a pass you know Diara can't pass let's be honest I think Wiles is still getting up to speed and Radoni I think we've seen is is probably better in more of a box-to-box role than, than yeah. playing as a, as a number 10 and then yeah the other area we talked about obviously because everyone did was centre forward yeah. so I don't think it's a surprise that we're talking about you know, they're needing a, a number 10 and a centre-forward and surprise, surprise, we come into the season and they're struggling to score goals. That, that You see, that sort of passing eight, I think that is, like, without speaking out of term, but that is one that maybe you'd look in terms of Premier League loan. And lots of clubs, successful clubs, have done that, you know, with the likes of sort of Tommy Doyle and, and others. Town did it, lest we forget, by loaning in Aaron Moy from yeah. Man City, you know there there Carol are other things as well. Not Carolighting, yeah. alone. Yeah, there are other examples, and it's it's kind of important not for every game because there are games where you just in the Championship where you just need kind of grit and determination and energy and running. And I think Town have got that in that midfield, but what they haven't got is that sort of real. When I say intelligence, it sounds like I'm damning the other players in that role, but I mean creative intelligence basically and I think that makes a big difference so these are all problems we know about and we're all sitting here going well Darren Moore has got the problems that we know about yeah. <laughs> and the thing is you had a manager before 
in Neil Warnock who tried to overcome them in different ways quite industrial ways but you know and again I'm not damning Neil Warnock when I said that we've talked about tactically how he was you know more more intelligent and cleverer than a lot of people gave him credit for but I, I just think like you say the pressure's on those games now because even though the remit is to get to January and even though all those holes still exist in the first team in the squad like the Sheffield Wednesday game is an absolute stinker to go into an international break with. I'm not. I, I mean, if you if Town pop up and get a last minute goal and it's three points, I think people mm. feel a little bit different. But it was just the nature of the ninety minutes was just, yeah, it would it, it, it won't good. It, it, taking the temperature of my mates who were a lot of them were there. They go home and away, and they just, you know, sixty minutes in, they were basically ready for walking back to the station. As as you yourself, Steve said, you know they could have played all international break and it'd still be nil nil. Yeah. So I'm a neighbours man myself. You're exactly right. There is a bit of pressure on those fixtures. No denying it. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. They, there were boos on the final whistle. It wasn't like extended. It was just a little boo, you know. It, but yeah, I think there is, let's be honest, we've come into, and I'm on social media less than I used to be uh, for my own reasons, but um, it does feel like we're, we're now into the international break and we've just been saying to someone, there's always something every international break that everyone obsesses over. And it feels like at the moment it's the stadium rather than anything mm. on the pitch. And uh, we'll come on to that in a bit. But I think that sort of speaks volumes of like, people are not sort of uh, super enamored of what's been happening on the pitch. Obviously, there's not a lot of to hold on to there, but I think people are also accepting that, that they have changed manager. He is going to try and change things. Let's see what the other side of the break mm. brings. I have looked, I think every manager, particularly every new manager, when they come into their first international break, will talk about this is vital time on the training pitch. We need this time with them. I think when I've looked historically the international breaks where they've had the biggest difference, where they've gone into it in poor form and then come out of it and hit the ground running has been the game, the international breaks where they've actually needed rest and relaxation. Yeah. Um, it's it's the, the March breaks in the past two seasons um, have, have been the two where they've sort of gone into it in slightly indifferent form and actually come out a lot better. Um we all remember, obviously, last season they had a month off with the World Cup and came back, mm. if anything, worse, mm. um, despite getting players back from injury. However, I think, you know, Mark Fotheringham was maybe not the coach to get that improvement out of them, shall we say. I think Darren Moore has much more of a track record for, and this is the whole reason they've appointed him, has much more of a track record for successfully imparting those ideas onto a squad. Um, and he's not kidding or trying to kid anyone on when he says he's had basically no time with his players or very little time with his players because he came in on, what, that Thursday evening. Um, he was announced. First day was the Friday. He was just on media duties. He had one training session with the squad, I think, before Coventry. They'll have had a, a rest day after that. Um, so he'll have had a couple of days before Ipswich. 
maybe a session before the Birmingham game and then maybe a session or two before the Sheffield Wednesday game and that's all the time he's had. Mm. Um, I think he will he will want them. Uh, he will have certain tactical ideas. He wants to get into them. He did say when he arrived that he didn't want to sort of bombard them all with information and try and do a complete sort of 180 on playing style immediately and he didn't want to throw all of what had worked under Warnock out the window. But I think when you look at the fact that they've had sort of as again three points from four games to start off and also let's be honest under Warnock they only had um, eight points from seven games so it's not like they've gone from world beaters to to, to struggling now that the issues that he's got now are the same issues that Neil Warnock had but Darren Moore is obviously going to come up with different solutions to them um, and he's going to have to impart his own solutions rather than try to go well what did Neil Warnock do so would not be that surprised if we did see a bit of a different Huddersfield Town after the break, but I also wouldn't be that surprised if there were one or two more Birmingham-style performances between now and sort of and and the next international break, just because that is going to happen when you when you're trying to execute a change of style in such a wholesale way. Yeah, I, I agree. I I think. I, my position remains the same, and I'm only repeating something I've said on this podcast, which I still think Town this season are going to more often than not beat the teams they should beat, more often than not lose to the teams that they should lose to, and draw enough in the middle that they'll be absolutely fine. But I just, I, I kind of think that this this time with Darren Moore, it's it's interesting. I'd love to know how he's going to approach it because those players have had a lot of time with with Warnock, who does things a very specific and certain way they've had some of them have had quite a bit of time with other coaches before that who have mm-hmm. tried to implement things or do things very differently I do think there is a case for simplifying I, I really really do um, I think you saw that Birmingham performance what happened to those players when you tried to complicate it a bit so I do think there is a case for simplifying and I, I do think there is a case for at the moment it's easy for us to say is invested neutrals rather than fans, Steve. But I, I do think there is a case at the moment for just basically keeping your expectations fairly low because I think I, I kind of think you have to. But I do think there are there are some things to expect going forward, which is let's see something a little bit different. Let's see kind of more of a more identity on the side because the other thing is I feel at the moment we've kind of seen Darren Moore's version of a Warnock side and his version of what he thinks this squad will like. I'd like to see his version of what he wants them to do. Yeah, I think Um, that's what we'll get after the break. I hope so. I hope so because... The thing is, is as as an you know as an analyst and you as a journalist over the last well, you know over the last few games, it's crazy really. I mean, how do you even begin to analyse a really good, you know, a, a yeah. late draw against Coventry where Town were rotten first half, great second half, a really good performance against Ipswich, an absolute stinker against um, Birmingham, Birmingham, and then a sort of nothing draw. It's like. If you're trying to draw, if you're trying to pull some threads between the games, if you're trying to get, get some similarities and work out what this town side is going forward under Danny Moore, it's that it's impossible. So it'd be nice to see some uh, everything. To, everybody just calm down. 
everything just <laughs> yeah. calm down and let's see what this town side actually looks like but I, I do think that I am on social media a little bit more than you Steve but not, not as much anymore by any stretch because to be frank I'm just too busy but I do think I did see on Saturday evening when I was scrolling through various social media sites there were some pretty silly comments about Darren Moore and I think you have to you have to understand the job he's got right now and the squad he's got right now and I think you just yeah I, I, I just think keep your expectations quite low for the minute let's see where we are when we get to January what that squad looks like you know the day after the, the window shut because I do think that is a big thing because we know there are I think one of the big problems Town have got, and we have spoke about this, Steve, we've both talked about this before, so again, I do feel like we're repeating ourselves, but one of the problems Town have got is they've got a couple of gaps in the squad, but they've got a couple of gaps in the first team as well. And it's difficult yeah. when you're you're looking at both instead of just going, okay, well, this is the summer we bolster the squad a bit, the following year is the summer we do the first team a bit, the following year is we do the squad. So... Yeah, we'll see, but I just kind of feel, sitting here as an analyst, and I'm sure this is what the pod listeners want from us when they come to us for a bit of insight, I don't know anything yet. <laughs> I don't. I, I honestly don't yeah. know anything yet. So I'm kind of, although there is pressure on those games, I'm kind of looking forward to them because I'm kind of sit. I kind of want to see what Darren Moore wants to do, and that's the thing I don't know at the minute. I think the, how they perform against QPR, regardless of the result, I think how they perform will inform a lot of what we're going to get over yeah. the next couple of months because I think Darren Moore will want hit the team playing playing football to use that that phrase but you know pass it a bit more passing a bit more control a bit less you know Warnock last year and uh, got great success and tried to the start of this season um but but obviously wasn't quite able to replicate what they did last year in terms of the results but he sort of came in and went well we've got a limited squad here our best mm. chance is to just go for make the game as chaotic as possible and hope we yeah. come out on the right side of it um and i think that worked because it made it made them so hard to predict for the opposition i think it it shocked a few opponents to be honest who at that stage of the season were used to playing a certain way um and then you come into a new season and I think people know that that's what to expect from Huddersfield Town and mm. it changes things slightly. Obviously, they they had a lot of stupid mistakes in there as well. Um, you know, those mistakes they made against Birmingham are not a, a new phenomenon. Um, no. I refer you to Plymouth and, and Norwich. Um, but um, I think now Darren Moore will come and see the same problems, but his solution I think is less likely to be well let's make it organised chaos and is more likely to be let's take control of these games, let's be yeah. the masters of our own destiny, let's get on the ball, let's control the, the flow of the game, control the tempo, control the way we want to attack, which I think is a nice idea but I think that uh, Carlos Corbran also tried to do that in his first season, had mixed results in the first half of the season and then once he got a few injuries it completely collapsed mm. and I don't I don't think Town are a million miles I think if I was to compare Town's position to anything we've seen over the past few years it would probably be that first half of that first season under Carlos and I just hope that there is a degree of pragmatism to Darren Moore where he is willing to accept this is what I would like to do ideally but these players can't do that you know yeah. i think i think 
there are changes he can make. I think, you know, for instance, Mihal Helic and Matty Pearson, not noted as particularly great ball players, but you can put Yutanakiyama into that back line. Well, it's interesting, Steve, because one of the things I was going to say to you then was he needs to be the Huddersfield Town Manager that works out exactly what he wants to do with Yutanakiyama. Okay? Mm-hmm. That's, that's, for me, that's a really big thing over the next two months because. The thing about Utah, he's got all these really, really good qualities, and me and you really like him. And you know, he's just incredibly dashing. But yes, he, is. he he really. We need a manager to go. I want him to play as my wing back, or I want to play him as my left centre back, or I want to play him as my defensive midfielder. Give him a run there, and let's see that evolve, and let's see mm. that work. Because at the moment, I feel like Utah's this sort of puzzle that they don't quite know how to solve or what to do with him. Yeah. I think Josh Ruffles basically being able to play all the same positions um, and playing very well this season has, has probably complicated that a bit. He's had a bit of a groin niggle, Josh Ruffles. I think, to be honest, left side of the back three seems like Josh Ruffles' best role. Mm. Um, and from speaking to you know Tom House and our EFL editor who used to cover Sheffield Wednesday Moore does like to have historically if he's playing a back three he likes to have a bit like Carlos Gorbrand did mm. likes to have a left footer in there which would be Ruffles or Nakayama but if he wants that to be a ball player then I don't know Ruffles is, is actually has played some decent passes but Nakayama is more of the ball player but I would suggest less of a good defender than, than Ruffles uh, I think sometimes you to he has a ten, and we saw this last season before his injury. This isn't a new thing. Um, does have moments where he switches off, and I think that is sort of you know when you look at you and you see it, you know he's a big, strong lad. He's good on the ball. Why is he playing in the championship? The answer to that is because he has these moments where he switches mm. off. Um, so, and then you look at I think again, wing back is left wing back is a strong area, but I think. Headley and Jackson are very much the organised chaos type players. Um, so I, I wouldn't, yeah, I don't know. But I think to me looking at it now, I think I would stick with Ruffles. If you're playing a back three, Ruffles on the left of that back three and Nakayama as, as your wing back. But again, it's, you know, Ben Wiles was dropped against Sheffield Wednesday. Does he, does Darren Moore want to have, again, as you talk about, a ball player in there rather than... Uh, Hogg, Radoni and Wiles are all very industrious. Um, but is there enough quality in the final third between the three of them? Um, mm. I think Wiles, once he's up to speed, should offer that. But then we said the same about Jack Radoni a year ago and mm. he's you know, still not quite got there. So uh, there's other things that, that, as I say, Darren Moore can do, but I think he is slightly limited with the squad that he's got. I, I would hope that in January they are going to as you say, do a bit of recruitment. And I think that now having that longer-term manager in place rather than a short-term manager as as Neil Warnock was or short-to-medium-term manager does maybe make that recruitment task a bit easier for Mark Cartwright because he knows what he's recruiting for for next summer, which he he didn't know um, in, in, you know, the summer just gone. Um, But also, it's we know that January is a very difficult market. So... Yeah, they, it's a tough got, one. They've got to work it, though, Steve. This this yeah. year, they have to work it because I don't think they're going to be in massive trouble. But I am 
making that assumption on the fact that they will do some business in January. Yeah. If yeah, they same. didn't do any business in January, I think come the end of the season they could be they could be right down there. Um, yeah. And I think there were one or two barriers to recruitment over the summer, which we won't go into, but they they really need to get that business done. And the thing is, I don't think that business can wait until the last day of the window either, Steve. I, th- no. I think, you know, for if, if you're going to back Darren Moore properly and give him a fighting chance here, I think you've got to get at least one of those first team roles done really early, you know, yeah. really early, as in the day after the window opens, in my humble opinion. But we'll see, we'll see. But yeah, football And not wise, Florian Canberry. Yeah, yeah, and not Florian Canberry, God rest his soul. But <laughs> I think... Uh, you know, football-wise, just to reiterate, I just think it's very difficult. And I think people who were drawing a lot of conclusions of their own on Saturday, I think good luck to you because <laughs> I, I've every point I think you could make from the game on Saturday can be completely contradicted by another game that has happened under Darren Moore's stewardship so far. Mm. So, yeah, I, at, at the moment, very much a work in progress in my humble opinion is that your dog snoring i can hear by the way yes it is she's she's just my wife has gone out so she has naturally assumed that everybody hates her so she's been extremely fussy and now she's finally settled under the desk snoring her head off and at 20 minute intervals pumping which is (laughs) extremely pleasant there have been plenty of occasions on the podcast before where you said if you can hear my dog snoring and i've never been able to this is the first time yeah yeah well she's (laughs) an idiot yeah well i hope you're all enjoying that um listeners if that is coming through on the mic um yeah i've mentioned already everyone is talking about the johnson stadium at the moment um i think that the stuff that's come out and huddersfield hub have been way on top of this um but um it's i don't think that anything that the Council put out, or that has has come out from Jake Edwards, is sort of a major surprise, or particularly takes us on from where we were a few weeks ago um, in terms of the information that we have. But obviously, it does give a bit of clarity as to what uh, each side's respective position is. Um, obviously, Town would like to um, have control of that stadium; they would like to own the stadium. I think. There are, and we could do a whole podcast on this. It's this is an issue where it's it strays into the area of uh, local democracy and and the inner machinations of Kirkley's council um, more than it does sport. And um, if I spent a week on this, I would end up writing nothing and probably would be none the wiser as to what's happening. But I've I have done a lot of talking to people about what the situation is, and I think as a summary without going into the ins and outs I think there is a willingness from Townsend to try and get something done I think the council in principle also accepts that something needs to be done they've they've said that you know they are not going to put any more money into it they've also said they're not going to pursue the existing debts um, it's been acknowledged that there is millions of pounds worth of investment needed in some very boring stuff um, things like the the power generators and things like that under the stadium that are 
not particularly going to add to the match experience, but also you would really miss them if they weren't there. The stadium, <laughs> the stadium couldn't run without them. Um, and I think there is at the moment, you, you've seen there's a, an attempt from town to get involved in the local politics, um, shall we say. Uh, I am hopefully going to be talking to Kevin Nagel about this um, this week uh, while he's over in the UK. Um, so, again, don't want to dwell on it too too much because we'll, we'll wait and see what he says. But I think it'd be fair to say that I think in the council there's a few misgivings about... It's a bit like... <laughs> um, it's it's there. I think there is a a bit of a misgiving about handing over the keys to the stadium, and and you know the council sit as a community asset that was built for the community, and I think there's a little bit of trust building to be done that they aren't going to hand over the keys and then in a few years find that they've got an even bigger mess on their hands with the stadium that that the club are going to treat it well that the Nagel regime are do have the means and the willingness and the lot and not even beyond Nagel that the club are able to to run it um successfully and do a better job with it than than has been done to date under the current ownership and I think it's a little bit like uh like having a car and you want to you know you try to get rid of it but you you don't necessarily just want to hand the keys over to the first person who knocks on the door you you want to make sure that, that the car is going to be well looked after and well maintained um and get to know these people first so um i think there was progress made um or they got some way down the road towards a deal under Phil Hodgkinson but obviously the end of his um, spell at Huddersfield Town meant that got taken off the table. Um, I would say, because I've seen this sort of intimated elsewhere, um, people saying, oh, well, Dave Baldwin was working on this. He's now left the club, but he has left the club because he has already successfully handed over all of this process mm-hmm. to Jake Edwards and everyone else at the club. So I wouldn't be... I wouldn't read anything into that. I think that was a, a planned transition. We know he was Hoyle's man. He was there to, to help ease that transition to a new staff. But it could be a situation that goes on for a while um, with the stadium um, while people try and find a solution that that sort of that works for everyone because obviously the Huddersfield Giants are involved in this um, as well um, as a third party. And I think... If it was a dispute between, or not a dispute, but if, if this was a negotiation between two parties, I think it would be complicated enough. The fact that there is a third involved makes it even more so. So maybe something that goes on for a while and is quite complicated. <laughs> yeah, I I agree. I think I think part of the problem here is you've got sort of Kevin Day who can be quite bullish on Twitter about what he wants to do with the stadium. Yes. I think the council's... Riposte was quite bullish because I don't think they want to be kind of of bullied by any part of this. I think K, the rumours around KDSL and what we know about KDSL is that they do have a difficult road ahead to say the least. So things are coming to a head. But this is just my opinion. So you don't need to have the legal team on standby, Steve, or anything like that. But, you know, you have to stick to the facts. I can give an opinion. And I think it's... Really, it's time for sort of adults in the room to talk about realistic paths forward. You know, it, this is not going to be resolved with every party completely happy 
<laughs> about what's no. going going forward because it's too big a deal. It's too big an issue. But the the facts are simply these: one, the deal needs to be done one way or another because it, town cannot progress as a football club in this area without having proper control of that stadium and let's be honest the ability to make proper money from that stadium going forward over the next decade the flip side is the deal was done that it would be the Giants stadium and the Giants have to be considered and I know a few town fans who aren't rugby fans make one or two quite cruel comments about the Giants and their crowds etc you know I'm not a rugby league fan at all um, but they are part of this deal. They are a moving part. So again, it needs adults in the room being realistic about what happens going forward with the Giants. And the third part of it is, it's not just the stadium. This is part of the issue. There are other moving parts to this with the gym and the swimming pool, and everybody knows about the what has been reported in regards to potential closure, etc. This is complicated, and this is why people can't still continue to speak in statements to newspapers or websites uh, or on their social media it, it, you've got to get people in a room to be realistic and try to sort things out and to understand that there has to be a level of compromise from all parties going forward i i just feel that things are coming to a head it, it does have to be sorted. It's not a case of, you know, one party waiting for the other to, to get to the point where they're desperate or going to the wall or have no other option. I think the time is to sit down and talk about it now. I do think from from Kevin Nagel's point of view that, unfortunately, there's no other way to say this. I, I think there is a time coming where it is kind of a how much money can you throw at it problem because, again, it's the nature of the deal. I think from the council's point of view, things have already come to the point where they, they don't want to incur any more costs going forward. That is quite quite clear. So, yeah, it just needs to be resolved quickly. It needs to be resolved quickly, because I would argue this conversation has been going on for a decade. <laughs> you know, And for 95% of that time... The conversation has essentially started the same way and ended the same way. And there has been these little islands of updates or hope in between that have ultimately come to nothing. So it's time now for it to get a different answer. That's that's my honest opinion. Yeah, I, I think <clears throat> you can see why the club are going about sort of doing the, the, the political schmoozing that they're doing at the moment and trying to sort of build that trust because I think that is, you know, I think it's the natural inclination for us as people who are interested in football and interested in Huddersfield Town is to say, well, there's an obvious answer here. The club are the only mm. viable custodians because the Giants don't have the means to to do everything that needs to be done. The council admit that they don't have the means to do. The only people that are showing an interest in saying, well, we'll take it on are Huddersfield Town. But I think you need to, again, I think the the context of uh, from people that, that are not into football, that are not interested in, you know, the fortunes of Huddersfield Town, they might have reasonable misgivings about, well, hang on, these people only took over the club four months ago, a club that were rumoured to go into administration mm. um, 
you know, eight months ago, whatever it was, a club that did go into administration 20 years ago and had to be bailed out. You know, these are real considerations that, you know, and I'm not saying that there's any risk of that happening um, under the Nagel regime whatsoever. There's no suggestion of that. But I think the council would need assurances that that is the case. They can't just take that on faith. And I think there is a bit of a getting to know you how can you be so sure about this? How how do you know you can continue to fund this? How do you know? How do we know we're not just going to end up having to bail out this stadium again in five, ten, twenty years time? Yeah. Um, so, also, I think, like the one thing that gets skipped over a lot as well, the phrase "community asset" is not just a phrase; it should be a community asset. Mm-hmm. You know, Huddersfield is not London. People aren't liking to say this, but it's not Leeds. <laughs> you know, the football club is a massive part of this area. The football ground is a huge thing. It should be a community asset. And there are also legitimate concerns about essentially passing it into what is in effect private hands and yeah. if those things are maintained and what have you. So we are not for a minute saying it's not complicated. But what I think we are both at the point of is... <sighs> The, the talking has got to stop. There's got to be some action because the, these conversations are just going round and round in circles from the bits and the updates we get. And, yeah, you know, the council have to be realistic that there's nobody else going to take it on. You know, no, no private company is suddenly going to sweep in or <laughs> something like that. So, you know, unless Mike Ashley hears that there's a stadium going for sale. But, it, it, you know, that's that's not going to happen. The stadium doesn't run without the football club. The football club doesn't run without a stadium. Yeah. That's where we are. Obviously, though, like, the, for there to be action, there does need to be words. And, I don't know, it's, uh, it's a complicated one. But, yeah, so we'll um, we'll see where we get with that. But, as I say, I'll be talking to Kevin Nagel, uh, hopefully this week anyway, so... Yes. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Um, right, Huddersfield Town women, um, who we keep forgetting to mention despite saying at the start of the season that we would. Uh, they have continued their difficult start to the season, unfortunately. Um, another heavy defeat at the weekend. They lost 4-0 away to Wolves. Um, but they, did, they do have a chance to respond to that. They've got two home games coming up. Um, one on Thursday evening at quarter to eight and one on Sunday at two o'clock uh, at the Stafflex Arena. Um, that's uh, Shelley's ground, uh, if you're not familiar. Um, so, yeah, particularly when there's no town men games on, no excuse for you not to go down. Six pounds for adults, four, can, four pounds for concessions and uh, free entry for those aged 16 and under. So get down to that. And because I've not done a... We've not done a podcast since I did Miles for Marcus. Um, I will say thank you once again to everyone who donated. Um, Really, really appreciate it. Um, Everyone who supported. It was uh, a good time was had by all. (laughs) 
um yeah we did uh it was actually do you know what it wasn't too bad it was only the last hour that my uh my foot started really really killing um and i've been limping around ever since but it's it's getting there um but so yes massive thanks to everyone who donated so that's texas terrier paul duckworth uh, in fact, there's more. It's cut off the start, but I know I did some of these last time. Uh, Ian Crookshank, Liz Malafront, uh, Nick Miggle, Anne H, uh, Ed Smith, Philip Rothwell, Tilsey Terrier, John Singleton, Matthew Briggs, Phil, Richard Hayward, Jerry H, Gareth, Johnny Goggs, uh, Adrian Lane, Lee Hales, Jonathan Gillespie, James T, Miller's Oils, Philip Barr, Dave, Tom Neal, TerrierSpirit.com, Newsome Terrier, Paul Askham, Richard Sykes, Paul Matthewman, Dan O'Brien, Toby Shackleton, Justin Rush, Anna B, Alan Grime, Nils Henrik Pedersen, uh, Peter and Katrina, Ian Clough, Julian, Lucy Belden, John Chapman, Anik, Andy N, Mark, Mike Tyson, uh, who is my friend Mike Tyson, not that Mike Tyson, uh, Feg, Sam Collins, Will Shaw, Joanne Parker, uh, Charlie Holden, Matt Roberts, John Martley, James Bentley, Mark, Julian, uh, the town fans in the Legends Bar who gave me £5 in coins uh, each, uh, which I then stuck out online. Uh, Joe T, John Gladhill, and my dad. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, and apologies to those of you whose names have been cut off the start of the list, um, but I did do you on the last podcast. So, Dave, what is your media recommendation? Um, the COVID was horrible this time, and I was struggling to do anything. Um, I was, <laughs> I started watching something on TV with Penny, and in ten minutes in, she said, "You haven't got a clue what's going on, have you?" I said, "I can't even remember anyone's name, babe." So all I've really done is just sit in bed for nigh on two weeks, and I just listen to some music and a load of podcasts, a sort of background noise. But one I really enjoyed was um, on BBC Sounds and everywhere else you get your podcasts. Was um, I went through the back catalogue of Sports Strangest Crimes, um, which is a. Uh, they have different series covering different things. They usually go for quite an unusual narrator to draw you in. So it was Alice Devine talking about Sven at Notts County, Vanilla Ice talking about Shergar. Yes, that is a real sentence, Steve. Um, you know, uh, I th- there's all sorts. Hugh Dennis has one on um, uh, Pantani, the Italian cyclist who passed away. They, they're just really good. They're sort of all like six to eight episodes and they're just... They're quite, they're quite well-known stories, don't get me wrong. There's nothing in there you probably haven't heard before. Maybe the latest one was about a, a college American football player who pulled off one of the biggest uh, armoured car heists in the country. But um, they're, just, they're just very you know, very interesting, very well done, very well put together. A bit like this podcast, Steve. Yeah, very much like. Uh, I am going for probably my album of the year this year. Um which is Olivia Rodrigo um, and her new album Guts, which came out recently. Uh, the the run of the first three songs on that album are just back to back bangers, but it stays good all the way through. Um, it's top pop. My daughter's a fan. Is My she? Daughter's, but yeah, she's been playing it. Yeah. It's so well, it's so well done. You have the same taste as a twelve-year-old girl <laughs> for the first time ever. <laughs> lovely thank you dave once again as ever and thank you to everyone for listening and we will see you next time which will probably be uh, probably after the break <laughs> see there. good decision
Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com.